the ship in harbour is safe. But that is not what ships are built for. That is a quote by the American merchant and philosopher John Shedd. And that quote for me kind of summarises uh, the thoughts that I get from the idea of what you, Monica, have called the anchorage. So today I am joined here by uh, Monica O'Neill, who is the lead pastor at Living Grace uh, here in Perth in Dianella. Uh, and who is also a lecturer here at Morling. So thank you for joining me, Monica. It's great to be here. Fantastic. And we're uh, just currently sitting in Monica's office and we were just talking about the abundance of greenery and plants and we considered starting a gardening podcast. So if there's any listeners out there who would like a gardening podcast from a couple of amateur gardeners or Mon, you might we, be... We would like to do that podcast. Yeah. Yeah. It's more yeah. for us rather than... Yeah. I don't care who... Please help us. <laughs> that would be great. So, Mon, I thought today it would be really good to uh, get to know you, a little bit about your journey, maybe a little bit about your academic journey, your pastoral journey, uh, maybe even touch on uh, this idea of spiritual formation and, and some of your thoughts around that. So, firstly, uh, who are you? <laughs> uh, mate, I would start with who I am starts with when I got up this morning. I'm, I'm married to Michael, so I'm, I'm a wife, I'm, um, I'm a mum, I'm a grandma, I'm living in a multi-generational house at the moment. Um, I'm relationally connected, I have some really beautiful deep friendships that span decades and some fresh new ones as well. Um, and I think that's how I primarily define who I am. I'm, I'm a woman in community um, and a woman who's loved and I, get, I have a whole posse of people I get to love on, so that's pretty good. Um, I'm also someone who got called by God really young onto a particular vocational path and have tried to follow that all my days. So it's taken me to some really interesting places. Yeah, fantastic. So. Um, Mon, you uh, were the person to well, get me a job here at Morling. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah, right, um, <laughs> several years ago you called me up and was like, do you want to help out with our vet program? And I said, yes, please. And of course, your husband Michael, was he's been a supervisor for some of my academic stuff. So the O'Neills are, I guess, part of my life but in, in a big way as well. But you mentioned vocation and how that's taken you to some interesting places. Could you talk about some of those places? Yeah, okay, so when, uh, I guess this is, for me it starts really early, so I won't go on forever and ever, because I am 60 and so it's a long story, so we'll do give you the abridged version. Um, when I was around 13, I had just had a real sense, we used to have missionaries come through our church, I was a, uh, raised Catholic and with a really vibrant Catholic faith, it was a charismatic community so we uh, it was alive yeah. and uh, some missionaries came came through and when they were speaking I just had this real sense that God had a they used to talk about has God called you is there a vocation and I had this thing I I think I have one of those and I, I hang on I know I do so I told the nuns who were overseeing that our sort of spiritual formation and they told me I'd get over it um, and it would pass, but it didn't. So um, when I was around 18, um, I'd had some encounters with God and around, I'd said, come back when I'm 18 and I can handle you. Um, and around 18, some big things started to happen in my world and I ended up um, shifting my church tribe um, and, and that was specifically to follow on what I, into the directions I thought God was calling me. So I thought I was called to be a minister. Um, and I jumped into a non-accredited Bible college, which was all the rage way back then, uh, and did some uh, very energetic training, learnt lots of scripture and things like that. Not much uh, breadth to that, but I did learn that uh, and, and experience God as very imminent. And that was pretty important. Um, so I jumped ship um, in consultation actually with our local priest and he blessed me and, and I headed over to what is now Riverview Church in Perth. 
and um, began a spiritual journey there, which took me um, into this Bible training centre. Uh, and uh, while I was at the Bible training centre, I spied this guy um, with really good legs. Uh, I'd actually seen him in the Catholic Church and he got up. He was, uh, they were protesting and um, fasting on the lawns of the church to, um, to uh, protest uh, the uh, situation in East Timor. This is back in the late 70s. And he had, anyway, I won't go into it, but he's very cute. And I remember saying, <laughs> I was newly alive to God in this fresh way. I'm like, God, I wouldn't mind meeting him one day. Nice. And, and the clouds parted. And, and the, the clouds parted. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. Well, he nice. showed up at this Pente Pentecostal place where I was going. And, um, and so from then on, it was kind of just scheming to find ways to be together, um, yeah. which we eventually did end up together, serving God together. So... Um, been in a few different tribes over that time and I have wondered what that's about because I'm there's a part of me that's very steady steady and there's a part of me that likes new things um, maybe it was God's mercy on all the various tribes I've been in that I haven't stayed too long <laughs> in them so you know maybe seven yeah, ten years <laughs> I've been here a long time now so I've been at Vaux Smalling since 2007 so that's uh, that's quite a few years Great. So how, how did you end up at Vos at the time and now Morling? Yeah, well, I had a heart um, from really early on um, to provide company for people in ministry. So I'm a bit, I have extroverted behaviours, but I'm a bit of an introvert. And so I, uh, we, we took on our first church. We had some service overseas together, Michael and I. We lived in Indonesia for a little while. When we came back, we pastored a church in Geraldton uh, and it was actually really, there were parts of that that were amazing community, but we had no mentoring, no oversight. The group that sent us up there would call us once a year and ask us, did we have a building program yet? So we just didn't have that kind of companionship and we longed for it. And that kind of realisation that none really need to journey this stuff alone. That's become a central kind of a, a mantra or something in my life that says, actually, we don't need to do it alone. There's times when you do, but we don't need to. And how could we make it so you could find people and, and have company, skilled company along the way? So most of my ministry has probably ended up being about skilled company along the way. So kind of Emmaus Roadie stuff. How do you be with people in a way that makes a tad of difference? Yeah, that's... Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. no, that's, that's great. And so do you train people to uh, kind of be mentors or supervisors or, you know, just come alongside people mm -hmm. here at Morley? Yeah, I do. I do that formally so and, and non-formally. So um, we... In 2007, I came over to Morling. I think that's where I was at before, actually, and got sidetracked. Um, I came over to Morling because I had this heart to start something that would build this kind of company, accompanied space, this space that would foster really healthy service and healthy ministry life. And um, one of my supervisors at the time dared me to follow that through and do something with it. Um, and another one uh, worked with me on a discernment exercise and I went through that exercise and I felt very strongly to approach Brian Harris um, and see if he was interested in setting something up like that. And he was. And so in 2007, I joined here. And that was all about non-formal training people to be great leaders, to be healthy, to be good mentors, um, to be great listeners, all those kind of much smaller skills. They're not the sort of skills that get you a massive platform with, you know, 100,000 followers. Um, they're just things for ordinary along the road, nuts and bolts. Yeah, but yeah. it's so essential. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit, it's a, not, not a terribly glamorous space, but I figure like it's the infrastructure, the grounding, the bedrock. Uh, and if our communities don't have great listeners and great companions, then um, they can deteriorate pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And um, you're uh, connected to 
uh, what's called the Anchorage Collective. Yeah. And is this kind of what happens in that space as well? Yeah, so the Anchorage Collective is um, a group at this stage of eight people who are pastoral supervisors um, and all with other things that we do. So it might be spiritual directors, mentors, coaches, trainers, facilitators. Um, and we practice together. So we're a community of practice and we offer those services to people. Um, and occasionally things like retreats or PDs that spring out from that kind of ethos. Yeah, great. Yeah. Uh, when I looked you up on uh, online, uh, on your website, you had a quote, which I thought was pretty cool. It, uh, it describes the Anchorage Collective as a collective of holistic practitioners who have demonstrated grounded spirituality over the long haul. Uh, we do not come to the table as masters, but apprentices. And of course, the quote goes on, but um, yeah, I wrote that. that. Was the main part, you know. yeah, you did. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I yeah. thought it was great. And that's it, who it, we are. It, well, when and I was thinking about that's what that's what you aspire to be. The mm. idea of um, not masters, but apprentices. Uh, is that key to your philosophy and? So, yes, so I believe we remain apprentices to the Lord the whole time and to our particular calling and craft. It's lifelong. Um, but I also believe you can develop competence and excellence and even something like a posture or a mastery of certain things. Um, and I think that takes effort, that takes intention and discipline. And so I think it's both. We're chasing mastery of our presence and how we're with people and our craft and what we're doing as we walk with people, um, but we're just complete learners. And, and there's this no shame approach to realising you're in baby club once again in some area. Yeah, yeah. sure. Yeah, so I guess without wanting to sound cliched, it's, uh, it's more about the journey than the destination, but I guess you still need... Yeah. A, a destination. You do need a destination. Well, you started with a quote about the ship is not built for the harbour. The anchorage is a place where you actually do come in uh, to safe harbour, but it's not an end in itself. It's just a safe harbour. And um, uh, one of my sisters is a sailor and she has to pull her boat in and do work on it and she has to dry dock it sometimes and play around, get barnacles off, clean the hull, do service things, uh, generally fiddle around with stuff. Uh, but that's kind of how the anchorage functions. So it's a, it's a stop along the way, a place for a refresh, a re-kit, an upgrade, um, sometimes just some dusting off and some comfort uh, and care yeah, yeah. When, when it gets pretty tough. Yeah, because it does sometimes. Yeah, it does. And, well, I'm very glad that that quote... <laughs> That was a good one to, uh, to use. You're clever like that, Aaron. Uh, thank you very much. Mm. <laughs> um, and if we jump across to uh, so Living Grace, mm. so you're the lead pastor at Living Grace. Yeah. Um, that, is that, what denomination was that again, Tara? Churches of Christ. Churches of Christ. Mm. Um, but when I looked uh, Living Grace up online, um, there was a picture of, uh, I guess, your sanctuary area um, and there were just lots of smaller round tables with chairs around that um, as opposed to kind of a big auditorium or anything like that. Is there a particular reason why you would meet like that? Yes, <laughs> there is. Um, and we changed to that particular format after the first lockdowns um, and we had met we're a, that the Sunday morning gathering is uh, it's a small church, so it's it's functions uh, in the way small churches do, and it has a beauty all of its own. It's quite vibrant. And when we went into lockdown, you know, our foyer time was normally the longest part of our service. So you know, we'd have about an hour long service, and then then it'd be foyer time forever and noisy as and um, and the loudest shirts I've ever seen on. A, you know, a whole group of men ever is just fabulous. Um, and when we came, when, yeah, so it, it is that, I think those shirts are, a, they, they're just natural. <laughs> anyway, um, 
we went to Zoom because we felt we actually didn't want a live stream. One, we weren't really capable of doing that well. Um, and we felt the truest thing we could do would be to have something where people could still interact. So we used Zoom. And when we came to the end of the lockdowns, we surveyed our people. And one of the things they loved about Zoom was being face to face and not seeing the back of each other's heads all the time and being able to interact around the word or around things with each other. There, there was a kind of a democratisation that we facilitated and people could hear each other's voices. Our elderly were able to bring readings and bring communion, um, which they hadn't done um, at, in the bigger church because they, or the, this configuration we had, because they'd have to come up the front and juggle things and mobility and disability issues meant they they precluded themselves and started coming off doing those things and we wanted to hear their voice and on zoom they could so anyway we we reconfigured when we came back to reflect that and i've known about cafe style churches before we happened to have great cafe tables we had sofas we had bar bar tables and bar stools so we just we said let's listen to this and create an atmosphere which is um, more conducive to people being present with each other than present to the front. Um, so we tried to break some of the front delivery only mm. passive receptor kind of model. Uh, and it's been, that's been a reasonable transformation. I think we still have some further work to do there. It's quite hard to maintain that um, amongness. Um, so we keep working on it. Yeah, no, that's so good. Yeah, it's kind of fun. It is fun, yeah. and it looks a whole lot nicer than Rose. Yeah, yeah, and uh, you mentioned, um, you know, not looking at the back of a person's head, but actually, you know, looking at a person's face. Yeah, <laughs> that's... yeah, and it's quite easy to say, hey, just turn to the people on your table and share this or discuss that. And we always give people an out if they've got social anxiety. So if you don't want to join in, just look down and we'll leave you alone and you can meditate that answer yourself. So they do, you know, some people just go straight down. Um, but yeah, we keep, it makes it really easy to people do that. And they come in with their cuppers, so they're kind of relaxed a bit more. Um, even some of our old, older folk who said, you can't have coffee in the sanctuary. Uh, when I first went there, were there on the first week with their coffee on the table. And uh, one of them was asked, oh, I thought, I thought you didn't like this idea. And she said, even I can change, she said, and just proudly there with her cuppa. Yeah, it's really quite precious. Yeah, no, that's, yeah. That, that's great. And you also mentioned, you know, that there's always work to do. And I think no matter what style of church we do, there's always um, some work that, yeah. that needs to be done. But in this cafe style of doing it, mm -hmm. um, has there been a good response? Has it been, has it been effective? Has it worked well? Um, I think yes and I don't know. Sure. So yes in that um, when COVID isn't decimating attendance, it looks like it's vibrant and when visitors come, uh, the feedback is generally really pleasant surprise and um, they'll often choose a sofa or, a, you know, like you have to come early to get the sofas though. Um, so we, our visitors find that they give us feedback, probably 80% of people who would visit would find that um, a really good, it's a disturbance to what they expect when they walk in and they, they express their delight at that. Um, and so we have had visitors staying in fairly good proportion, um, if that's how you measure, is it successful? Does it help people to interact with each other more deeply and to be a bit more connected? I think the answer is yes, but that's anecdotal. Mm. Um, and I love it that we've got old ladies who will turn to their friend in the middle and go, I couldn't hear that. <laughs> Do you know what she just said? <laughs> and it's really loud, you know, and it's because they can turn to their friend and ask, whereas they would never have done that in rows because it's very formal. Yeah. Um, so and that... so people will chat and they'll pray with each yeah. other quite readily 
um, okay. integrated into what we do. So there's that so, level yeah. of comfort and ease. Which... Yeah, I think it breaks down some of the formality, which is part of what we wanted to do with that, make them accessible to each other, basically. Another interest of yeah. yours is um, this idea of spiritual formation. Mm. Uh, actually, passion might be a better word for that. Um, I was just wondering, could you tell us a little bit about kind of your philosophy of spiritual formation? Oh, man, where to begin? So I think I have to start with the idea that, uh, the knowledge, because it's more than an idea, it's the knowledge that God is at work in us mm. and the Spirit is shaping us and drawing us to be more like Christ in the way we live. So that's a, ba that's a bottom line for me. So I believe that the Spirit, the Spirit is active in every one of us all the time. In fact, I believe that God is active in humanity, present all the time. So pastoral work or companioning or formation is about not creating an agenda but uncovering what the Spirit might be up to and... Um, uh, augmenting that in some way. So um, I think it's Peterson who said our primary, and uh, he's been a big influencer of mine uh, a few decades ago, um, our primary pastoral work is, is uncovering grace and clearing away dross or the crust. You know, I tend to think of it as the crusty, you know, stuff that's just sitting on blocking what God might be doing. And so I think that's our primary work in formation is what is God up to? How do we discern that, notice that, get in touch with that? And then what's in the way? And how do we, you know, maybe do a bit of uh, demo day on that stuff? I'm a bit of a serial renovator as well as a gardener. And so I think there's already something, there's already good bones is my philosophy there, but there is stuff that gets in the way and it needs to be cleared out or other stuff needs to be exercised and built up and fostered. Um, and we get in line with what God's up to and that's what I call formation. So I'm not a big fan of saying you all need to look like this so everybody get on it. Yeah, yeah, no one size fits all. No, and I think my, my early culture in uh, mega church Pentecostalism was very much about shaping a particular, um, you were being conformed into an image, but it was very corporate. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure that, it, well, that's not something I particularly live for these days. Um, I guess there is there's diversity within God himself. So mm -hmm. it kind of makes sense to me that if we are uh, you know, being formed into the image of that God that we are being formed into, well, I guess a, a very diverse sort of image. Mm. Um, but I really liked what you said about uncovering what God is doing. And so I guess there's, a, there's both a passive and an active role for us in that. Is that, is that right? I think so. And I think that's the, that's the joy of participation that's like that with ministry. Um, that's part that we get to play, we get to be in this, we get to labour, but we're not actually the the master master builder or the author and finisher. That that job belongs to someone much bigger than us. Thank goodness. So I have another philosophy, and this is based around transformational change kind of theory, um, and that is that without a grounding in what is true now what is real right now um, you you don't transform so I think we need to be in the tension between the reality of who we are and how we are and who we're called to be and how we're called to be and when you hold both of those together in view um, there's a creative tension that is at work, it's an energy for change and that's the energy of transformational change. It's, it's disruption, it's uncomfortable, but it's really alive and there, there's actual juice to become different in that. If you can't face your reality of what actually is, then you're dreaming 
probably not transforming. And so you get lots of people who are dreaming, but they're not birthed in who they actually are right now. And so they just, there's this disconnect between their dream self and their real self. And people call that hypocrisy, I think. Yeah, well, that, that sounds a little bit difficult. I reckon anyone can do it. Yeah. Yeah. I guess, um... What you could do is have the courage to go, some days I really stink, or some days this is amazing. But I don't want to. I don't want to think that. I don't want to think that. I don't want to really do we? But but I guess you need to be accountable. You need to be vulnerable and honest. Yeah, with and yourself. a deep knowledge of grace. Like God, God is not fooled by who I am and the reality of who I am. And yet I'm not rejected or outed or spun off, which is what society will do to us. Um, and, you know, our friends might even do that to us, but God doesn't. So if mm. you get comfortable with not playing games in, in the throne room, not playing games when you're present and aware of God's presence, then you can face the reality. And I think scripture models that all the way through. Yeah. You know, all the big stories are about this is who I was, this is what I did, this is how I am, and God's companionship through that story. It's not about I, I was flawless and perfect. There's only one yeah. story. And that's the, that's the beauty of grace and forgiveness. Yeah. Um, so I think we can do it, but I do yeah. think you need companionship to kind of, because conceptually you can say God's gracious to me, but when you actually live in a community or with someone or someone companions you and they see your darkest, most shadowed or your... They, they see something about you that you wish no one saw um, and they don't reject you and they accept that that is a reality and they accept your aspiration, um, then that's actually really, that teaches something, it, it embeds something about grace in people. Yeah. And so being able to see people exactly where they are and companion them in that without being surprised, horrified, you know, to have the stillness of soul that says, so go we all, um, and to be that with people that allows people to grow really hugely. Yes. They get a taste. Oh, this is God. Oh. And then they can start to offer that eventually to others. So we, we've spoken a bit about uh, calling. We've spoken a bit about spiritual formation and coming alongside people and all of those sorts of things. But you did mention earlier that your journey to academia was quite interesting and uh, I was wondering if you could tell us why you found it interesting. I'm, I'm intrigued now, I want to know what was going on. Look, I, um, I have a reasonable mind um, and I headed out of school and into uni and I was doing a health science degree and all this spiritual encounter was coming up, so Jesus was coming really soon. That was the big message, get on it, you know. So I went to this uh, Bible college, Bible training centre and did two years there and met Michael during that time. So we launched off into ministry. We memorised a lot of scripture, um, learnt some things that we unlearnt later. Um, and while we were away uh, we went overseas and then when we came back we pastored in a country town for seven years and during that time the realities around what we'd been taught we began to realize these things actually couldn't be true um, they couldn't they weren't lining up with our own reading of scripture our own experiences our own learning it wasn't gelling and I think that was the spirit just shaping us and growing us so Michael actually, I, I was busy having babies, so we have three children, and um, I was busy gestating and, and feeding and all of that. And Michael started into formal study and um, started to grow and learn. And I'm an avid learner, so I would be learning al along with him uh, when my brain wasn't out to hormonal lunch. And... Um, we progressed in ministry and I, I, I would be reading, we would be discussing. So I was growing. But there came a time when our kids got older and I felt like I, it was my time to go study. 
And so I had a couple of fits and starts. So I started at a local uni in their theology department and I did a couple of units online and that got me going. They were, um, you know, study a, a New Testament unit and a theology unit and so on. Um, and that got me going. And then I realised I really wanted to be face-to-face -face in a classroom. So I actually swapped colleges and went somewhere where I could go face-to-face. And I was quite enjoying that. And I got a chance to enter a professional attainment master's. And so I, I jumped. So I kind of had this little patchwork thing, which doesn't look great on, on your journey, but it, I didn't give up and <laughs> just kept, kept going. And um, I was looking for stretch too, you know, and the master's was more stretching and I, I really enjoyed that. Felt like it was, uh, yeah, I felt like that was maybe more where I wanted, the level I wanted to be studying at. And here was a chance to do it. If I could prove my worth in the first semester, I could stay. Uh, and I, I was able to stay. And I was doing a Master of Arts in Leadership, which was um, theologically informed and um, had uh, was based around working in faith-based organisations. Uh, that organisation folded and I ended up in here, actually, finishing my master's, but a different kind of master's now, what's called a postgraduate master's. So I ended up in a postgraduate master's without an undergraduate degree. Um, so my first award is a postgrad master's. But it did mean I had, every time I did a unit like Trinity, I had to backfill all the undergraduate work and do the postgrad level on top. But it was actually, I just enjoyed the stretch. Um, so I did the Masters and then I've just kept collecting awards since then. So a couple more um, uh, post-grad certificates and now I'm doing my Doctor of Ministry program in the research phase. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, so I leapfrogged around and then once I hit my stride, it was just steady, um, just stayed on it. So you just leapfrogged at the Bachelor and just dived straight into <laughs> it. It was very unusual circumstances. I don't think you can replicate them, sure. but um, I am grateful that I got to study. So what, what's the topic of your uh, current research? Yeah, so I'm doing a phenomenological study, so qualitative research on the experience of pastoral supervision um, by Australian ministers. So it's a new field, it's an important field, it's my field, uh, and we'd like to find out what's going on. So it's very open question, and as I interview people, we'll take that wherever they want to go. So when, when you say what's going on, is there something in particular? Uh, see, the pureness of the research method says I don't determine that. I ask one good question at the start, and then see we see where they take it, like what, you know, a little bit like what you're doing. Yeah, sure. Except we call it research. <laughs> <laughs> Correct. Um, no, that, that's, that sounds really, really great. Um, to, I guess to finish, I was wondering if you could give our listeners uh, some tips on spiritual formation. Can I throw you into the deep end? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So look, if you're a newbie, um, I reckon, recognise that when you try and spend time with God, it's probably going to be really awkward, like a first date so don't try and stare into God's eyes for too long when you haven't got any shared history. Now I'm very conscious about where I'm looking. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I mean like you could it, it's a long time since Michael and I dated but we would do things together and that builds story and so I think if you're wanting to build relationship with God be active in some way as you're building your sense of encounter with God. So I'm not talking about doing heaps of tasky things but go for a walk and pray or pray while you are doing things that are less mindful so that you're you practicing the presence of God in very ordinary spaces and building some story. Lots of people try to enter spiritual disciplines and spiritual formation by jumping right in the deep end of I'm going to do a 48 hour silent retreat um, and they end up going nuts at about three hours or less um, because they haven't 
they're, they're trying to stare awkwardly into God's face and they've got no shared story uh, to do that. So you need to build up some kind of relationship. Feel free to get guides, get help, get company. Um, I don't think for spiritual formation is best on its own. Our evangelicalism tells us to you have your own quiet time, you have your own prayer time, you have to do it all in secret. I'm, I'm actually, uh, I think there's a place for that very private um, interaction with God, which is the transforming, but I, I think we have community for doing that together. So I'm, I'm a bit more plural these days than I was. I think we uh, do spiritual formation together. We encounter together, we journey together, we can meet and go practice together and then come back and journey that together. And that's a bit of what we do in formation here at Mauling. Um, it's, it does spring, and it's not only my philosophy, that this is much broader than myself. Um, we, we want to foster that sense of companions along the way. I think we transform more readily. Um, it's, a, it's harder to deceive yourself long-term if you're in company. So I guess what I'm gathering is don't go on a date with God, but go on a group date. Yeah, go on a group date. I like that. Or, um, yeah, or go on a activity-based date. So a retreat that's led or a series of interactions to learn some new ways of hanging out with God or some new spiritual exercises or practices and do that accompanied. That's really good. I think that's a good place to finish. So thank you very much, Mon, for uh, uh, joining us for uh, what's been just a really great chat, I think.
Caleb, that was a great chat with Monica. Uh, she just brings the, just that sense of uh, sensitivity uh, and passion to, uh, I guess, to her life, but also to this discussion that we just had about, you know, spiritual formation and uh, the importance of going on dates with God and, and that sort of stuff. But uh, how did you feel the uh, conversation went? Man, I think what I love most about the conversation was just Monica's disposition the whole time, right? I sit in every episode that we record, I kind of just sit behind my laptop recording the audio and capturing it. But um, I've heard a lot of people talk about spiritual formation and they don't have any joy when they talk about it. In the whole conversation, Monica just was so joyful and her entire presence is like, she practices what she preaches, you can tell. And so that was really cool. I think she's funny and super wise. It's very true that it, it did feel, it really did feel joyful. Yeah, it's a great joyful. pain. Like I was in there and I was like, man, I, I, should, uh, I should get right with God. <laughs> yeah, honestly, I was like, am I even saved? Am I even saved? <laughs> Do I need to go plant a garden? You guys talked about gardening for like nine minutes. I have the record. Uh, yep, yep. Nice. And maybe there's something in that. Yeah. yeah. Um, Gardening, that's where it's at, Caleb. You're going to get on mm. it. Maybe gardening our souls. Gardening our souls. Maybe really that the whole podcast was a metaphor for, yep. for that. Got to get out and prune some of our... Yeah, I want to know this. You've, you've known, like you mentioned early on in the interview, the O'Neills for a while. They've been a part of your student journey, but also now you work here at Moreland with them, alongside them. Um, and they're both... Monica and Michael are both super intelligent people, but today we spoke with Monica. Has she changed in the sense of like, has she just always been that great? She's always been like this, yeah. Mm, just accessible. Yeah, uh, and just, I guess, on the ball and, um, you know, you can, just, you can just chat to her and she's just always so, uh, you've got that sense of, of joy and I just, yeah, I keep coming back to that word passion. Like it's a real deep-seated passion for her. And I got that sense just chatting to her that, um, you know, the conversation went in various different directions that it just felt so natural and she's just able to guide that so well. And hopefully we can gleam uh, a lot from her in terms of, uh, pastoral ministry in terms of caring for other people both formally and informally without you know wanting to put ourselves on a pedestal um, or anything like that just down-to-earth solid you know soul, soul gardening yeah. yeah she kept using the word companion and I thought that was such an interesting word to use because um, she kind of juxtaposed it with like the work that she started here at Moiling and kind of has given her life to is not the sexy, flashy Instagram highlight kind of ministry method, but it's that companionship that is slow, unjudgmental, and very local. It's so cool, hey? Yeah, and it's all yeah, the little things little. that, I mean, as she mentioned, you know, often go unnoticed, but that's kind of the most important stuff, mm. just the everyday down-to-earth, you know, grind sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's like not cool, but so cool in a way. Yeah. Like it doesn't look cool, but it's like, then you see the final product and it's like, wow, it's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. and I think you said cool I, four I, times. You said cool, cool. a lot. Cool, 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 cool. Um, <laughs> Uh, but yeah, it's just the fundamental stuff and it, it's, it's very Christ-like as well. Like when you read the Gospels, that's the sort of stuff that Jesus is doing. Yeah. Just the constant affirming, uh, encouraging, and sometimes rebuking sort of stuff. Um, okay, I want to get your insight on this, right? Because you did, for those that don't know, could do a whole podcast with Aaron, interviewing Aaron. Maybe we'll do that. Yeah. Yes. So Aaron, you're, you're a theologian by trade. Um, you did your PhD work in resurrection of Jesus, the one and only resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, we do believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Um, but how do you, what do you think of marrying everything you just talked about with Monica, like the spiritual formation, ministry formation, with the theological, if that makes sense? 
Yeah, so I guess you're asking about the technical with the kind of the down to earth spiritual formation sort of thing. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's a, that's a huge question. <laughs> In two minutes, go. <laughs> go. <laughs> Don't time me. Um, no, but it's an important question because I think they're both absolutely important. Um, I, like, I, I do think that our practice is informed by our theory. Like our theory uh, impacts upon how we act, um, whether we like it or not, you know? Um, so doing the tough, you know, sometimes quite tough work of untangling a lot of this technical jargon and theological stuff to try to learn more about God and Jesus and the resurrection, or at least what other people have said about that, um, is uh, really important, I think, for us because that ultimately impacts upon how we treat others and um, look to others. Because even even that statement that I just made is built upon, you know, certain theoretical understandings of you know, how we function and on theology and all of that. Right. So what I'm hearing you say is that we are all our spiritual formation or our the people that we are becoming is implicitly or subtly, or I'm sorry, implicitly or explicitly, we're being shaped by a certain theology, whether we know it or not. Yeah, and yeah. So the yeah word absolutely. But I do, I just want to add that it's not about getting it right. <laughs> uh, as mentioned in that chat with Monica, you know, it's about the journey. Um, I don't want this to sound heretical or whatever, but... <laughs> um, I don't think that we can ever know the right theology. Right. I don't think any any one of us will ever fully... Like we can't master our subject because our subject is an infinite being that is God. Yeah. And even the word yeah. God is too small of a word for what God actually is. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. So we have finite minds talking about an infinite being and our finite minds are shaped by uh, you know, temporal activity and all this uh, worldview and our education and our upbringing. And we all bring a particular and absolutely unique perspective to the subject matter. So to come back to your question is um, that I think that theology, that process, the technical process of trying to understand God, uh, which I think is something that we should all be doing, um, everything from you know systematic theology to church history. You should definitely do your church history. Um, uh, I think that is really really important. But it's not about attaining a correct understanding. Right. It's and so I think what I'm hearing is the most healthy marriage between technical theology and say spiritual formation is spiritual formation gives us the ruler and the question of who am I becoming in this? And that is our primary means. Am I becoming a person that is more like Christ? And theology helps us explain the mystery of this person that is Christ. Yeah. So that process of doing the theology is itself a process of spiritual formation. Boom. Mic drop. That's a mic drop. That's a soundbite right there if I ever heard one. Man. But uh, it's a great interview. Monica is a brilliant person. And... Um, yeah, I think we can all learn a lot about spiritual formation. And I guess just quickly wrapping it up, what was your uh, key takeaway from the conversation you had with her? Yeah, so I think for me, I mean, there were so many, so many little things. But um, I guess the key takeaway is just that intimacy uh, with God that seems to kind of drive everything that Monica does. Um, and I think that's kind of inspiring, you know, it's that sort of relationship with God that I guess I aspire to. And um, just being so close to God, and I'm sure Mon would have other things to say <laughs> about that, but um, I got the sense that there was just that real closeness that um, just gave her drive and passion um, which is really good. What about you? One key takeaway? No, I think that's, that's pretty much the same. I think 
as brilliant as she is, it's all undergirded by that experiential, relational, that there's few people that I've met and I've gotten to listen, speak or anything that you can kind of sense that, man, this person knows God in the sense of not knows about God, but truly knows God as friend, as Lord, as companion. I think that's what the word that Monica would say, that her life, it seems, is, is marked by companionship with God. And that is, yeah, quite an aspiring, aspiring thing to achieve.